I'm Bonnie. I'm Maddie. I'm Lucas. And we are the, the Spooky, Spooky Siblings. Woohoo! So you'll notice that we have a male voice on that. Nobody's sick with a cold. It's no, just a male. No. Sister number one isn't sick. She is missing tonight, unfortunately. She had to take care of something. So we have, you know, the next best thing <laughs> or possibly a better thing. The brother. <laughs> I was going to say Isabel. <laughs> so we we have our mother. <laughs> Isabel. Hashtag Isabel joining us tonight. And we're really excited about that. So thank you, mom, for filling in. Thank you. For Winifred. I, I'm glad to be here. And she'll be here next week. So tonight, well, let's catch up. It's been a year. Mm-hmm. What happened? I got a lizard that All my right. child my child wanted, and I had to take care of it. That's the biggest <laughs> thing to report, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Twenty twenty one is not much better. Kids are at school. Yes, so that's good. Yes, everything's COVID back to normal. Got canceled a little, and then came back, and that bites. Yes, yes. <laughs> hey, uh, anything new with you? Yes. Uh, yeah. So. Sister number three, me, I am moving my little booty to Nashville, Tennessee this month. Mm. And it's okay, though, because we're going to figure it out. We've got technology and this is going to keep rolling. It's very hard to get all three of us in the same room. Even though we're so close right now. Right. (laughs) So it's going to probably be more of a challenge. But spooky family, I'm dedicated to this. I've had a lot of people check up and be like, Hey, are you guys still doing that? And then I'm like, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to check my schedule. I'll have to check my schedule. <laughs> I have to go to school. <laughs> uh, so it's been a little bit uh, difficult, but we're here at the most important time of the year. We will always be here during fall, Boom. autumn, Halloween. Yes. We're your girls. Okay. Tonight as we advertise on our social media at Spooky Sisters on Insta. That's S I S T A S. There you go. <laughs> Not E R. It's been a long time. We're the Spooky Sisters. <laughs> you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Insta. And then, of course, we have our Gmail account, Spooky Sisters at gmail.com. A S. We want to hear your stories. We want to read them out loud. Uh, get to know you a little supernaturally better. So tonight, we're going to Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic. And we went there specifically because we have a brother, the male voice on our podcast tonight, who went on a mission to the Dominican Republic. And he has some wild stories. Like I am convinced there is a whole niche out there of missionary stories that haven't even been tapped. I am sure so many like, of them. Have I don't hear a podcast that is like, Oh, the missionary did this. And then saw this have partly because and Luke, you can explain maybe better, maybe because a lot of it's personal or sacred or, you know, both things that you want to keep to yourself. But Lucas would love to just put it all out on the table. And we appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Lenny. Okay. So, Santo Domingo. I'm just going to read Wikipedia here. Nothing special. Um, Santo Domingo, meaning St. Dominic, once known as Santo Domingo de Guzman, 
and Ciudad Trujillo is the capital of the largest city of the Dominican Republic and the largest metropolitan metropolitan, area in the Caribbean by population. As of 2010, the city had a total population of 2.9 million when including the metropolitan area. The city is coterminous with the boundaries of the Distrito Nacional. It doesn't help that it's in Spanish. Itself bordered on three sides by Santo Domingo province. Founded by the Spanish in 1496 on the east bank of the Osama River and then moved by Nicolas de Avando in 1502 to the west bank of the river, the city is the oldest continuously inhabited European settlement in the Americas and was the first seat of the Spanish colonial rule in the New World. It is the site of the first university, cathedral, castle, monastery, and fortress in the New World. The city's colonial zone was declared as a World Heritage Site by UNESCO. Santo Domingo was called Ciudad Trujillo from 1936 to 1961, after the Dominican Republic's dictator, Rafael Trujillo, named the capital after himself. (laughs) Dudes. Following his assassination, the city resumed its original designation. Uh, Lastly, Santo Domingo is the cultural, financial, political, commercial, and industrial center of the Dominican Republic, with the vast majority of the country's most important industries being located within the city. Santo Domingo also serves as the chief seaport of the country. The city's harbor at the mouth of the Osama River accommodates the largest vessels, and the port handles both heavy passenger and freight traffic. Temperatures are high year-round, with cooler breezes during the wintertime. Uh, Sorry, that little jingle is... My puppy, who's not as loud as he was last year. Mm-mm. I will take a jingle over the barking and the, over the heavy, heavy breathing. And all of these things. <laughs> okay, so Santo Domingo, did you learn something? I did. You weren't paying attention. <laughs> Bonnie kind of she she turns off when it's <laughs> when it's textbook. She's just like <laughs> la la la. <laughs> Butterfly. Butterfly. <laughs> Bubbles, what are you doing? Uh, sorry, guys. Okay, sorry. Uh, so my first legend. So Bonnie and I are just going to cover some quick legends that we read about Dominican Republic, you know, Santo Domingo. And then we're going to turn the bulk of the time over to our brother, Lucas, as stated. And then we'll have some discussion at the end. Uh, We also want to hear what you guys think about it. So as you hear this, and if you have stories that were similar or you've heard of stories that were similar, uh, definitely, like I said, email us in because none of us are alone in this crazy stuff. Okay. My first legend is the Siguapa. Uh, the Siguapa is creepy. <laughs> is creepy. So these creatures have nocturnal habits. And I don't even know. Lucas, do you know what Siguapa means? How do you spell it? C-I-G-U-A-P-A. Oh, Siguapa. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, guapa means um, like beautiful. Beautiful. Okay, so that makes sense because it's kind of described as like a succubus. So... And so also due to the position of their feet, which is creepy, they're backwards. Their feet are backwards? Yeah, their feet are backwards. One can never quite tell which direction the beans are moving by looking at their footprints. Wow. So, <laughs> okay, I was going to make a joke. Some people believe that they bring death, and it is said that one should not look them in the eye. Otherwise, the person is at risk of being bewitched permanently. The only vocalization made by Siguapas is said to be a kind of like a whine or a chirping. And it kind of reminds me of water babies because they can also um, mimic children crying, but not like actual words. Um, 
See, guapas are considered to be magical beings, beautiful in appearance to some, yet horrendous to others. All sources agree that they are wild creatures. They are compared in many cases to mermaids, beautiful yet cruel and far from innocent. I didn't know mermaids were cruel. Yes, they are. <laughs> huh. I didn't know you knew a mermaid. Uh-uh. <laughs> well, Merman, maybe. That's what legend. Legend says, deceitful and ready to capture the wayward traveler, it is said that they are so beautiful that they can lure men into the forest to make love with them only to kill them afterward with their backwards feet with their backwards feet <laughs> hey honey <laughs> don't mind the foot follow me try to <laughs> walk keep up way. won't you walk this way <laughs> walk this way oh that's bad okay <laughs> lost my spot so it's pretty much like a black widow just devours them legends have suggested that some are benevolent and wish not to kill trespassers though so it sounds like there's more than one though not much evidence supports this claim even today one can still find inhabitants who confirm having sighted a siguapa lore states that the only way to capture a siguapa is tracking them at night during a full moon with a black and white polydactic dog it's called a cinquino dog you heard of this dog was it dalmatian Shep, uh, All right, Professor Shea says no. Never heard of it. <laughs> All right. Through, though many believe that the myth of the Siguapa is of Taino origin, it has been argued that it's probably more recent concoction because the Siguapa myth has many characteristics in common with the ancient European mermaids. Uh, so it just goes on to say how it's like a mermaid. It's kind of like the Hindu Shirel, um, which has similar traits to them, but it, the creature kind of like evolves over the years. Some are pissed off and some aren't. Some eat dudes and some don't. Yeah. See, guapa. They have reasons to be mad. See, guapa. So We're going to turn the time over to Bonnie to do a legend and then we'll shoot back to me. We'll hit up Lucas. Okay. Mine. Take it away, sister number two. All right. So, um, mine is on Trujillo's ghost of Santo Domingo. <laughs> I'm going to mess up Trujillo's name a lot. <laughs> Anyway, um, 58 years after Rebels shot up the Chevy Bel Air on a seaside highway and his countrymen built a monument on the assassins or to the assassins, Rafael Trujillo ghost haunts the sidewalks and back roads of the country he ravaged. Monuments once built to honor the dictator have been either torn down or redecorated to honor his opponents. Um, tourists visit a museum dedicated to, chronicle, to the chronicling and his de- um, depredations. 15 miles away, visitors sneak into Trujillo's favorite mansion, now stripped of its furnishings and splattered with graffiti. Inside of the museum, of it's called the Dominican Resistance, tucked into a refurbished building in the city's colonial zone, a visitor can find a trove of tchotchkes from an uglier day. There are uh, some of Trujillo's commemorative, commemorative, oh my goodness, it's just, there are some plates in there. <laughs> Some kind of plate. I can't say that word. Tectonic. I know. It's just too much for me right now. (laughs) Tired. Some of the medals he had struck in his own honor. Literature from his fraudulent elections. In the interior room, an illuminated photo shows a goggle-eyed man strapped to an electric chair. The scars of torture streaked across his body. Tortures, arrests, beatings, and murder were the governing standard from the moment Trujillo seized power in 1930. Trujillo was a creation of the U.S. military, which occupied the island in the early 20th century. As the National Police became the National Army, Trujillo cultivated his base until the day in 1930 he could declare himself president. 
Trujillo confiscated two-thirds of the island's industries through compulsory sales. Santo Domingo became Cuidad Trujillo in his honor. Suidad? Suidad. My goodness. Suidad. He strutted across the international stage in Gilbert and Sullivan uniforms, laden with medals and plumed bicorn hats. He styled himself in the foremost anti-communist in the Caribbean, cozied up to Washington when it suited him and indulged in the occasional assassination attempt against other Latin American leaders. Okay, I have a question. I know people say Caribbean or uh, Caribbean. How do you guys say it? I say Caribbean. Caribbean. Some say tomatoes. I know, tomato, tomato. I say Caribbean. I say Caribbean. I I feel like it's a lazy way, but anyway. Um, So... Uh, says that uh, Maria, so there are some sisters. They're Mirabel sisters, Maria, Teresa, Minerva, and Petria? Petria. Petria. <laughs> um, they traveled home after visiting their imprisoned husbands, and they said, my family lived across the street from the hospital in Santiago. My mother told me about it. She saw them bring the bodies there. Mr. Star- or Miss Stark said it was too much, too much indeed. In a year, Trujillo was shot to death. In 1937, determined to widen his country, Trujillo authorized the mass murder of Haitians along the border. Entire families were hacked to death, others thrown into the sea. One Trujillo lieutenant went home and shot the family's Haitian cook. This is kind of a lot. I'm sorry. Wow. Here's the, this is the ending, but this one's pretty good. We'll go back and put like a trigger warning. Um, Bodies were dumped, burnt, and fed to sharks all largely unnoticed in a world that was focused on the forthcoming war in Europe. No accurate count has ever been assembled, but historians place the body count or the body count somewhere around 17,000. Nobody really knows. That is a great heyday. No kidding. They were fed. (laughs) Oh my word. Thoughts, Isabel, Lucas. Too much. Too much. Indeed. It sounds like those sharks, those sharks. Got plenty of food there, um, but but yeah, I mean, having lived there, and um, anyone who's ever been or lived in a developing country, uh, rec- record keeping and stuff like that falls to the cracks oftentimes. And yeah, so I mean, it's not surprising that there's no um, body count Records, or anything like that. Yeah, no count. yeah. Dang. it's a crazy thing that happened. That's very sad. Absolutely. Okay. We'll hit two more legends and then turn it over to you, Lucas. So two other legends. One's called the the Baca. Baca. El, El, Baca, El Baca. It's a diabolical creature. It's pretty much a crossroads demon uh, that people conjure up to get wealth and property. It's also called upon to protect land and property from being stolen. And it is thought when a person all of a sudden gets prosperous that they've conjured up a Baca. The Baca can take a form of a black cat a dog, bull, or other animal. Once conjured, this shape-shifting, so many of them shape-shift. You like those ones. Creature becomes very demanding. It wants great sacrifices on the part of the person who uses him. To get what you ask from this creature, it is like making a pact with the devil himself. In return for your gains, he might be nice and just take some of your lands, homes, businesses, or livestock. (laughs) You might have to pay the ultimate price by having you, your friends, or your family soul. suffering with diseases, illnesses, bad things happening, or the ultimate price dying mysteriously. The last is the El Cuco. 
uh, some in some countries it's called El Coco, but El Cuco in Dominican Republic uh, is is crazy. Like parents will sing lullabies or tell rhymes to children. It's essentially Krampus. Cr- uh, warning oh, them nice. that if they do not sleep el coco will come get them oh, latin america cucuy. yeah kukui is kukui in other kukui mom's heard of kukui uh, tell, tell me what you know about kukui well it's just a threat to the kids <laughs> a threat to the kids it's a, it's uh well not a really threat to the kids but uh folklore has it that you know back in the day they would tell them stories before they'd go to bed and and they said if you don't go to sleep el cucuy is going to come and get you it's just like a threat if you don't go to sleep el cucuy is going to get them but wouldn't that scare them and make them not well, yeah but sleep? that was the way is they that what they said about la llorona too though i don't know oh, so, we, oh. we we have that too in our culture boogeyman the boogie well okay so that's what they said so, yeah, um just like the boogeyman el cucuy so uh, Latin America also has El Coco, although it's, well, they call it El Coco, although it's for El Cucuy is what I would say. Uh, folklore is usually quite different, com- commonly mixed with native beliefs and because of cultural contacts, sometimes more related to the boogeyman of the United States. Among Mexican-Americans, El Cucuy is portrayed as an evil monster that hides under children's beds at night and kidnaps or eats the child that does not obey his or her parents. Like or go to sleep it's like when threat. it's time to do so. <laughs> Bonnie, Ava, go to bed already. She All right. <laughs> However, the Spanish-American boogeyman does not resemble the shapeless or hairy monster of Spain. Social sciences professor Manuel Medrano says popular legend describes El Cucuy as a small humanoid with glowing red eyes that hides in the closets or under the bed. Some lore has him as a kid who's who was a victim of violence and now he's alive but he's not alive he's undead but he's not alive humanoid humanoid that's isn't that so funny that legends across the world they like differ a little but the way that people differ a little because of their cultures everybody has different cultures but yet they still have the same uh like Siguapas in India are like long glossy hair, like the ring girl, right? Siguapas in Latin America have like backwards feet and, and backwards feet. they're like hunched over like Notre Dame. I wonder guy. if their bones crack Hunch. when they're walking. Oh, probably. Ew. And they can't say words. They just have to chirp, 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 chirp or whine. <laughs> Unless you have a, a polydactyl dog, which a polydactyl dog is a dog with six fingers. Good luck. How come you're good with words? I can't even say commemorate. I do my research. <laughs> I also went to school. <laughs> All right. Okay. So with that, Lucas, which is technically brother number one, I guess. Brother number one. Your only brother, honey. My only brother. Take it away, Lucas. <laughs> okay. So I am going to be sharing some stories that I learned about while I was Uh, serving a religious mission in the Dominican Republic. And a couple of interesting notes about the Dominican Republic is that it has, I think, been hinted at already in tonight's discussion. It shares a border with Haiti. And uh, Haiti is kind of the origin or the birthplace of, um, or not necessarily birthplace, but um, a stronghold for uh, voodoo cultural practices. And in the Dominican Republic, you don't necessarily see a whole lot of voodoo. The closer you get to the Haitian border, the more you see. But uh, there's definitely a good deal of superstition 
um, among among the people that live in the Dominican Republic. But the stories that I'm going to share are stories that are involving uh, missionaries that were um, living in the country at the time. The first story that I want to share is a story called Jesus in the Toilet. All right, Jesus in the Toilet. This starts with it was starts with two missionaries, and these missionaries are out walking around trying to find people with whom to share their message, and uh, they come across a lady who is uh, very anxiously beckoning unto them, calling unto them, and so they go over to her and they and she asks them, "Are you guys um, missionaries of God?" And they say, "Well, yeah, we are." She said, I need you to come over to my house. I would I would like to feed you dinner. And they're like, okay. And this honestly was not a very uncommon thing to happen for a missionary um, because 95% of the country is Christian. And so they recognize, um, you know, missionaries and people of God. And, you know, they all have that very strong commonality. So they end up setting an appointment a dinner appointment with her and they come back uh, to her house and she invites them in and they're eating dinner and they start sharing their message with her and she finally lets them know why she really wanted to talk with them and she's like I, I really I mean I'm sure you guys have a good message and I'm sure it's great but I'm really not interested in, in the message I might be later but you know right now I'm not what I am interested in is you guys explaining to me why Jesus keeps appearing in my toilet. And the missionaries just look at each other like, what? <laughs> Asking themselves, are, are you drunk lady? Right. Of course I didn't ask her that. Right. Um, what, what's in this dinner? That's one for the bucks. And so they're kind of looking at each other and they're like, um, what, what do you mean is he's in your toilet? And she's like, every now and again, when I go use the restroom, I see an image of Jesus in my toilet and they're just like they're befuddled they don't really know what to make of this and so they're like well can we go see and she's like yeah let's go check it out can we go see <laughs> and so they she takes she leads them back to the bathroom and they open the door sorry they lift the lid of the toilet and um there's just water in there they don't see and there's no image of jesus in there and she's like, oh, it's not here right now. Well, maybe it will appear later. So she holds up her end of the bargain. She did invite them over for dinner. So she makes them a dinner. And um, periodically, they go back and they check the toilet to see if Jesus's picture has manifested. And one of the last times, and this at this point, the missionaries are both just like, okay, whatever. I mean, this lady done. <laughs> is probably crazy. Um Let's just finish our dinner and get out of here. And so she finally goes and checks one last time. And she just in exasperation is calling them. It's like, you guys, come out, come, come check this out, come check this out. And so they run over to the bathroom. And sure enough, they see a, a, a depiction of Jesus, his face, in the toilet. Okay, in down by the the hole where you know water gets flushed down they see a depiction of jesus and one of the missionaries is just 
incredulous. I mean, he just can't believe what he's seen. And so he reaches down into the toilet to, you know, Ew, uh, no, no. this is the story. Shut your mouth. This is what happened. <laughs> uh, oh, I do have to provide a disclaimer. This is a secondhand story. Okay. This, I did not see this. I did not experience this myself. Anyhow. All right. So he reaches down. And as soon as his hand breaks the surface of the water, Jesus's picture settles down to the bottom of the toilet as if it was just dust. Huh. And he's just like, wow. And he pulls his hand out of the toilet and the, the image immediately reforms. And they're just like, holy cow. They, they can't believe what's happening, right? This obviously is not a parlor trick to them. If it is, it's a very clever one, right? <laughs> and so they do what you would do. Even back in, uh, if this happened in the late 90s, you take a picture of it. You try to get some evidence of it. And so they take a picture of Jesus's face in this toilet. Now they, they get the picture, to, this was back in the day when you actually had to develop film Polaroid. your picture. Now this is not a Polaroid, this is a point and shoot really crappy camera. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so anyhow, they take it to the, to the photo store and they get their film developed and they get the picture, it's good quality. They're very excited about it and they immediately start sharing it with other missionary friends. And it just starts making the rounds. And one, and so finally, one of the missionaries that had that saw this picture was like, "We're gonna, we need to let um, our president see this." Now, in <clears throat> on missions, we have a mission president, and the mission president is responsible for all the missionaries in that particular area. And uh, the mission president will give us training. Um, he helps pin down logistics for missionaries for their living and. Um, uh, travel and all that stuff anyhow so one of the missionaries that took the picture they sent the picture to the mission president that was acting at that point in time and um they had the mission president call him in to come talk to him about it and so they go into the they go into the capital in santo domingo where the mission president lived uh, this happened in a little village called san juan which was actually bordering haiti and so they make the four-hour bus ride into the capital, and they meet with the mission president. And the mission president said, this is a very interesting, very compelling photo. Where, where did you get it? So they gave him the backstory of what happened. And the mission president's like, this is very interesting, but you guys missed something very important in this picture. And they're like, well, what do you mean? And he slides the picture that they sent him. He slides it back across his desk to him. And he said, do you guys see anything else in this picture? And they're looking at it and they're not really seeing anything. And he said, so at the forefront, you see the depiction of Jesus Christ, his face. What do you see immediately behind it? And it was at that moment that they both saw this larger oblong face right behind it, right behind Jesus's face. And it's got a big old grin on its face and it's laughing. And the missionaries they got goosebumps, of course, right? And it, they're just like, holy cow. And the mission president said, this is a very, very impressive photo. But what makes this very impressive is that this is one of the few times that I believe that the devil let himself get caught on camera. Wow. The end. That's the end of the first Oh my gosh. Very interesting. Thanks for sharing. So rule of thumb, don't put your hands in the toilet. 
<laughs> no. I, do you have a copy of the picture? I I took a picture of like I remember copy. seeing it, but yeah, I'm I'm looking at a picture right now, but because of the really um, crappy poor quality point and shoot cameras, it's overexposed. But um, I reached out just recently through Facebook to the missionary who shared with me the story and the original picture. And uh, he might have, he still might have access to the original photo. Oh, and if cool. he does, then maybe we, you guys can post it. Right. Um, we would love to that post it. That would be awesome. But yeah, it's a, I mean, it, it's a picture. It's one of those pictures where you look at it and you're just like, holy cow. I was like, I felt weird looking at it. <clears throat> like it just felt, it felt weird. Like one Spooky. Why? Like, why would Jesus appear in a toilet? Yeah. And pretty much the devil's mocking him. Yeah, putting him, you know, him in the toilet. Like dirt. You know, it was kind of a six-year-old thing to do. Yeah. But um, was there any follow-up with that lady? Because I mean, why was it in her house? Like, was she? Did she have things attached to her? Like, was there anything different about the woman that they noticed, or was she just a? Regular woman. Was she just a character in the story that was just there? Um, so, you know, to my to my knowledge, she's just a character in the story. Um, what I do remember when I was told this is that they did go back and tell her and show her the oh, uh, good. the good. picture, and she was just kind of you know her mind was just kind of blown. I mean, like any of us would be right if we saw that. Yeah. You know, I mean, imagine she's seen this picture of Jesus in her toilet several times and never noticed what was behind it. And she overlooked it. Right. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I can only imagine, you know, what, what she thought or what she felt, but I don't know. Was that her only bathroom? Um, it probably was in the Dominican Republic. Your average house had, um, either one bathroom or no bathrooms. And so Mm -hmm. probably was the only one. And, that to me is the worst part of it because she has to use that bathroom. And so obviously she can't avoid it. <laughs> obviously well, Satan was like, Oh, you gotta pee <laughs> on Jesus. You gotta poo on Jesus. Like it's awful. That is the it's that's to this day the weirdest story that Wait, I've ever heard. So my question though is um did she end up inviting the missionaries back over for dinner and more discussion? <laughs> did she want to hear to a message <laughs> of our Lord and Savior? Did she? I don't know if I don't know what happened after that. I just obviously Bonnie and I are really worried about the gal. <laughs> <laughs> I only know the ghost story part of it. I don't know about well, it's like when, people, you hear, when people find like potato chips uh, shaped like Elvis. Yeah. <laughs> Things like that. <laughs> they go by and all like they go by all of his records. Yeah. yeah. They become an Elvis <laughs> on their toes, He's trying to tell us something. Yeah. All right. That's a crazy. That was a very good. Dang. Good secondhand story, Luke. I mean, I just wondered how she cleaned her toilet. Like, it's like, did it just keep coming back? I'm, she probably poured bleach in it. And then it came back. Who knows? <laughs> All right. So let's hear it for the second story. All right. The second story we have um, lined up. This is what I call the two missionaries and the crazy lady, which almost you can kind of apply to the first story, but you'll understand as we get going here. Um. And she wasn't really crazy, but anyhow, here we go. All right, so same scene. We have a couple of missionaries that are out walking the streets. Um, I actually ended up knowing both of these missionaries. Uh, One of them, I was in 
um, the missionary training center with. The missionary training center is where missionaries are sent before they go on their missions. And in the missionary training center, as the name implies, you learn about how to be a missionary. You learn about the gospel. If you're going to be speaking a different language, you learn the language or at least as much of it as you can in two months. And then you're shipped out. And so when you're in that missionary training center, you're usually put into small groups with other missionaries. And you guys all go to the same classes together. You go to lunch together. You do your laundry together, all that stuff. And there was a missionary in, in my um, district, in my group, and his name was um, uh, Elder Hobbs. Now, Elder is just a uh, title that we all use as missionaries. And so I was Elder Hall while I was on my mission. So Elder Hobbs was a fellow missionary in my district, and he was a rather uh, really sharp or keen intellect. And he liked to engage um, with other missionaries in our district in intellectual conversations. Um, and you'd always play like devil's advocate when it came to like religious topics and everything, you know, trying to tell us that, you know, we need to be put, we need to be trained and go through, um, you know, different scenarios where we can anticipate, um, you know, how certain conversations are going to proceed. But anyhow, he would always kind of take the role of the atheist and, um, it, you know, when he was going through these, um, you know, scenarios with us. But anyhow, Elder Hobbs in this story was relatively young on the mission. Um, we both arrived in the Dominican Republic in October of, two, of 1999. And this story took place in December, January. It was just a few months after we had arrived on the island. Anyhow, Elder Hobbs and his missionary companion, Elder Sharp, were both out trying to find people to teach and they heard somebody yelling for them now it's not uncommon to be an American in a foreign country and have people yell at you whatever they're going to yell at you back in my mission in the Dominican Republic they would always yell at us they would call us the CIA <laughs> they'd just call us Americanos um, and if they knew who we were they call us Mormones, you know, being members of, <laughs> of the church um, where we have the Book of Mormon. So they call us Mormones and stuff like that. Anyhow, <clears throat> very rarely or seldomly were elders at, were missionaries actually called by their appropriate title, which was elder. And you only ever heard members of our church refer to us as elders. They'd call us elders or in Spanish, elderes. And it wasn't something we heard very common. So anyhow, these guys are walking, right? And they hear a lady start yelling at them and she's yelling elderes at them. And so their ears immediately perk up because again, that's not something very common. Mm -hmm. And they find where the, where her voice is coming from. And it's just down this little dirt, little dirt road. And they can see her house in the bottom of this little, uh, this little gully. And they don't see her, they just hear her voice. And so they walk down and they hear her voice. It's coming from inside the house and the door, the door's open. And um, uh, two missionaries, Elder Sharp, he was the, the senior companion. He'd been on the island for a year and a half at that point. He'd been out there a while. And Elder Hobbs is what we'd call the junior companion. And usually 
as you'd imagine in any companionship where there's a senior member and a junior member, the junior member is usually just following suit, right? Just uh, kind of going along with motions and the senior companion or the senior person in the companionship is the one kind of calling the shots and doing what they need to do. And so in true senior position, uh, Elder Sharp is the first one that approaches the door and he pokes his head because they don't see anybody and it's dark inside. And he, so he pokes his head inside the house and he gets this overwhelming feeling of just, um, just fear. He just, mm. he, he just cannot, anyhow, it's enough for him to immediately extract himself out of the house. And he looks wow, at, he looks at Hobbs and he says, he says, we have to, we have to go. We're not supposed to be here for whatever reason. And Hobbs is like, what are you talking about? And Hobbs pushes him out of the way and he takes a step in the house and he's like, it feels fine in here. <laughs> and so he proceeds to go into the house to look for this lady. Well, Sharp, of course, follows right behind, and they both are in the house, and they find uh, a young lady, and she's sitting on her couch, and she asks them to sit down. They sit down across from her, and they start talking to her, and they're like, what? Uh, you called for us. What, what do you need? And she said, I need your help. And they're like, oh, okay, how, how can we help you? And she says, I, I need, I need a blessing. I need you to bless me, which again is something uncommon, um, for missionaries to be, uh, you know, asked, asked about for a while there, you know, from someone that's not a member of their faith. Yes. And so they're like, okay, um, we can give you a blessing. Um, but before we would give a blessing, we usually try to figure out what's going on so we can make the blessing specific and hopefully helpful. And she said, it's my dad. And they're like, oh, is he okay? And she's like, he, he's everywhere. And he's just so controlling. And I just need help to get away from my dad. And they're like, okay and at that point they start getting a little creeped out because they're like is he here is he gonna come like knife us in the back <laughs> but there's no one else that they can tell that's in that house and so they're continuing to talk to her and figure out okay what's going on with dad why is he such a problem and mid-sentence while she's talking to them she looks over to her side and she says no they're here to help me I want them to help me. I don't want you in my life anymore. Oh. And the missionaries look to her side and they don't see anything. Mm -hmm. And so these missionaries are now thinking, okay, maybe, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, little, uh, cuckoo's nuts, cuckoo's nuts, right? Don't know exactly what's going cuckoo's on. Nest. Cuckoo's <laughs> nest. And so they're like, okay, let's just, give this blessing to her give her what she wants and we'll just get out of here because this is this is creepy and crazy and so they both stand up and they decide to give her a blessing and as um and as we do in in our faith the people that are going to give the blessing they will put their hands on the head of the person who's going to receive it 
and then they essentially just say a, a, a prayer to God um, that you know gives them comfort, healing, or whatever they might stand in need of. And they were deciding who was going to give the who was going to give the blessing. And so Sharp was like, you know what, Hobbs, you take this when you're younger. You need experience doing this. You take it. And so they put their hands on her head to start the blessing. And as soon as Hobbs starts the blessing, the lady stops them, turns around, looks up at Hobbs, and she says, you have no authority. What? You can't do this. She's possessed. And Hobbs is like, what? And she's like, you can't help me. And so she's like, I want the other one to do it. Oh, my gosh. And so they switch. And so Sharp is now the one kind of leading um, leading charge on this blessing. And he gives a blessing. And, he, and he, what he shared, um, he, what he shared with us was that he felt like it was the most empty blessing he'd ever give. He'd ever given. He didn't feel any any direction. He didn't feel wow. he didn't feel good. He just felt the same way he felt when he stuck his head in that house. He uh-huh. didn't he didn't belong there. Like he, they didn't need to be there. And so he ends up giving a blessing and um, not even really remembering what he said. And then immediately after that, you know, she thanked him, and then they left. And so what you would normally think is the end of the story is not. So we don't know actually whatever happened to the young lady who needed the blessing. But this story finishes off with our missionaries, Hobbs and Sharp. It wasn't one, maybe two weeks later that we we most commonly lived in apartments with four missionaries, two companionships. So four missionaries in each apartment. And it wasn't even two weeks later that everyone woke up. We'd wake up early around 6.30 in the morning. We'd start studying. We'd have breakfast and stuff like that. And Sharp goes in to the other missionary's room asking where Hobbs is. They can't find Hobbs. Uh Uh-oh. He's gone. And so they think, well, just like anyone would think, maybe he just, like, left to go grab something and come back in. It's very customary in in our mission that you never leave the site of your companion. Mm-hmm. So it was it was uncommon that he was gone. But they thought, you know what, he might have just run down to the corner to grab a drink or whatever. Who knows? Well, a half hour goes by and they don't. He never comes back. So they actually go out and start canvassing the neighborhood for him. Um, and they don't find him. They come back to the house to call. The mission president and to let um and, and let them know that they have a missionary that they can't track down and at that point it was when they noticed that they were missing one of their bicycles a bike had gone missing wow. <clears throat> and so now they're trying to figure out what's going on um they can't find him this is in the morning right the mission president shows up, his assistants show up, and they're trying to track him down. They can't find him anywhere. Later that night, Hobbs shows up, and no bike. He shows up, and they're like, you're, you're okay. What, what's, what happened? 
And he's like, well, to make a long story short, um, I want to go home. Oh. And he had ridden the bike. Now, the area where they lived um, was about a half an hour outside of the capital, which was another half an hour away from the airport. He had ridden his bike as far as he could go. He put it on a bus. He went to the airport. He sold the bike to try to get money to get a plane ticket, but couldn't get enough. And at that point, realized his defeat and then returned back to the mission house in the area where he was living. And so upon his arrival and upon the missionaries learning that he wanted to go home, they called the mission president and the mission president, um, you know, started making arrangements and sent the assistants. He has two assistant missionaries and he sends both of them to come pick Hobbs up and bring him back in um, to stay with them so that they can get him on a plane the next day. And the assistants are on their way, but they're, you know, like I said, 30, 45 minutes outside of the capital. And so in the meantime, um, one of the other missionaries that lived in the apartment was talking to Hobbs and just trying to, you know, just kind of comfort him and be there and everything. And, and he was like, so why, why do you want to go home? And Hobbs is just like, I just, this isn't for me. I just want to go home. And so the missionary was, well, I mean, you still understand this stuff, you know, the gospel and everything to be true, right? I mean, you still have that to hang on to. And Hobbes at that point was saying, you know what? I just don't know anymore. Um, I just, I just don't know anymore if this is true or not. And that was kind of the last thing any of the missionaries conversed with him about. They came and picked him up. And next thing we know, he's on a plane the next day, headed back, uh, headed back home. But like I said, this wasn't, you know, the, oh, uh, man. the crazy lady <laughs> no. wasn't, wasn't the end of the story. Mm-hmm. But now learning about what happened at the end of the story, it made a little more sense to the rest of us when that lady, as soon as Hobbes tried to give her a blessing, mm-hmm. what no, did what? she say to him? You have no authority. You have no authority. Have no authority. Yeah. Kind of makes sense, you know, if you're, if yeah. you're a little shaky on on whether or not you even believe any of this. Is yeah. true. So it kind of opened up his eyes to realize that you're not really meant for it. And again, the devil tries to win. Yeah. And he at that point realized yeah. that if I don't really believe in this, how can I even claim so. any authority from from God? To act in his name or anything, and he was the yeah. senior missionary. The devil no, knew a Hobbs junior weakness. Missionary that was as old as me. We, yeah. He was only out a couple months. Yep, wow. Very, very, very new, very new. But remember, also in the training center, he was also the one that played the devil's advocate and played the atheist and everything like that. And so everything just started kind of coming around and making mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. I mean, my thought, what first went through my head was when as a result of him giving her a blessing the demon like sucked out his testimony or sucked out his priesthood i don't know it put doubt in his mind or like yeah like doubt in his mind because he felt it was so empty because she was like absorbing it like the like the sisters on hocus pocus when they eat children's spirits that's what went through my mind first I don't know about y'all. <laughs> okay. Whoa, that was a creepy story, Luke. That was so awesome, though. Man, thanks for sharing. So good. <laughs> so good. So good. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. Well, we want more. Give us more. Hey, Luke, remember that story you told me about this dog, the spirit? Of- well, Holy not, cow, that not dog? That dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the 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 spirit the three the, the spirit uh-huh. of this dog kept coming to your apartment. Remember when you were over that, there in in Dominion? The- that's the one I'm gonna tell. Okay, good. That's the one I heard. All right, take it away. All right, so now I have a couple of uh, shorter stories and a little uh, more lighthearted um, to some degree. But for these stories, we're going back out towards um, Haiti. Okay. So we we started out with Jesus in the toilet story. We were out by Haiti, and then we came back into the capital um, for the crazy lady, and now we're going back out. And this was this these two next stories. They happened in an apartment in which I resided for about four months. Um, they did. They didn't happen to me. It happened to another missionary. Uh-huh. But um, but nonetheless, I still lived there, which was creepy and cool at the same time. But anyhow, this first one is what I call the ghost dog. And as the name implies, there's a ghost dog. So this apartment we lived in had had like eight or nine bedrooms. It was a pretty big house. And we only utilized a few of the bedrooms. All the other ones were empty. Uh-huh. Um, in this area, it would we were kind of in a deserty region of the Dominican Republic. And it'd get pretty hot um, most days. And in a third world country where you don't have access to electricity all the time, you have to get creative with how you cool your house down. And so it was uncommon for us to have the windows and the doors open to let air come through and, you know, a little bit of a breeze to cool things down. And also it wasn't uncommon to find animals in your house. Like we had a rooster in our house. There was a goat in our house one day because you leave the doors open, right? <laughs> well, one time, this was right before I moved out to this area, um, a missionary with whom I became companions with later on. He was on his way. Uh, he just left the bedroom and he was on his way to the bathroom and he was coming back to the bedroom and he saw the back end of a dog just round the corner in the house. Now, when there was an animal in the house, we would, you know, it was all hands on deck. Everyone was, you know, what doing what they could to get the animal out of the house. And so they immediately start um, trying to find the dog and they can't and they're looking around and um, they're like well maybe he just made his way back out of the house well they go to the front door and the front door is is closed and so well I didn't go to the front door maybe it went out the side door because we had a side door they go check the side door the side door is closed there's no actual opening to the inside of the house from the outside and so at that point, they start really scouring the house. They're like, okay, if there was a dog in here, we have to find it somewhere. There's only a few rooms that had furnishings in them, so everything else was empty. So it was easy to check most of the rooms. They just open it up and just see an empty room. And they check everything. They check the kitchen. They check the laundry room. They check all the bedrooms. And they do not find a dog. Wow. And they're just like, all right, well, maybe we're seeing things. And it wasn't two days later, another one of the missionaries who lived in that house saw the same thing. The back half of a dog walking around the edge of a wall. And as soon as that happened, you know, he's like, hey, everyone, I found the dog. And he immediately gives chase. 
to nothing, can't find it. And sure enough, the doors to the house at that time were also closed. And so nothing came in or came out. Wow. And they never did find it. And so wow. uh, that's, uh, just that's, our little, huh? that's our little ghost dog story. Wow. Ghost dog. <laughs> Mom, have you ever seen a ghost dog? No, but I've sensed animals and they've come back after they die. <laughs> what, and, what animal? <laughs> um, Riley did. Oh. Yes, speak into the mic, Ma. Okay, Riley. Right after Riley passed yeah, away, Riley dog. Okay, well, he came back what at it, nighttime. What did you say? He didn't bark. No, <laughs> woof. You could hear him running from one side of my bedroom bed to the other side Aww. because your daddy was gone to Alaska out. for a long time, and you know I missed Riley because he was always with me when your dad was gone, and so you know the Lord's tender mercies, I guess. He let Aww. Riley come, and and I says Riley, two o'clock in the morning. I hear, I hear him patting, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he would go from one side of the bed, on the floor, and he'd thump, he'd hit against the board, the, the bedboard. Then he'd go on the other side because he did that when he was alive, because I think it hurt to stay in one position. Aww. So he'd go to the other side and, and change other positions, and but he would do that. And and for three nights, three nights in a row, he did that. And then after the third night, I said, you know, I said a prayer and I said, thank you, Lord. You know, I'll be okay now. You know, I'll that's sweet. And he, I know on that. Jim Harold's campfire stories, there are a lot of animal stories. Mm-hmm. Well, there, you know, everything's everything's spiritual unto the Lord. Yeah. Except for Pet Cemetery, that went wrong. <laughs> very Some, something very happened wrong. there that shouldn't have happened. <laughs> We don't talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, that That's great. Uh, all right. I think we have time for about one more. Yeah. Uno okay. mas. Yeah, we got one more. This one isn't too long either. All right. Uh, so this one happened also in this in this house out by Haiti that I lived in. And this happened before I moved in. Um, but to a missionary with whom I later became companions. And so he was able to tell me uh, kind of firsthand what happened. And... When he was sharing this story with me, we were in another part of the country at that point. Um, But we did have that kind of mutual location where we both were living in that same house at different times. But he was telling me, he's like, you remember the study room? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember the study room. We had a couple of desks in there and chairs. And um, usually um, it would have been probably like a living room, but, you know, we didn't have any other furniture. So it was just had a couple of desks, a couple of chairs. So is this one called the study room? Um, no, this one's the called the pillow. Stick? This the one's pillow. called the pillow. Sorry, I forgot. Okay, the pillow. Yeah, the pillow. Anyhow, I love that so. he names the stories. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I got a list here. Oh, with, with your name. Um, anyhow, so it was customary for us to, we would leave the house at around 930 in the morning and we would go uh, try to share our messages with people and tell about noon and then we would come in for a siesta now we didn't really come in for a siesta we didn't really need to sleep or anything like that but the whole country shut down and everyone took their naps <laughs> and so it wouldn't make very much sense for us um, to be out on the streets knocking on people's doors when they're taking their midday nap yeah they're not and so during that between the period of like lunch and three o'clock in the afternoon we would spend that time studying um, we'd cook our lunches and stuff like that mm-hmm. And um, at this point in time, Elder Reyes 
which was he's the character in this story that my companion who shared with me his experience he said i went into the study room and on sitting down in the chair and the chairs we had were they were wood with like wicker kind of um you know seat cushions to them not cushions right um but just the seat part of the of the mm-hmm. chair and they're kind of uncomfortable and by kind of i mean really <laughs> and so he's he's reading, he's reading his he's reading his scriptures and just becoming increasingly more and more uncomfortable sitting in his chair so he's like you know what i got an idea I'm going to go get a pillow. I'm going to sit on my pillow. <laughs> and so he goes and he gets his pillow out of his room and he sets it on his chair and he sits down and he's like, oh, that's so much more. <laughs> and so he proceeds in his study routine and he's reading his scriptures. And- Wait, Luke, is this an RC Willie commercial? Are you trying to sell his pillows or chairs? My Are you the my pillow guy? <laughs> both of them. Go. You're going you're you're to want both when we're done. Anyhow, so... At one point, he decides, you know what? I want to grab another. Uh, I, I need to grab something out of my out of my bedroom. And so he gets up. I can't even remember what he doesn't matter, right? He leaves the room. He comes back, and his pillow's on the ground. And he thinks, okay, it fell off my chair. I was sitting on it when I got up. It fell off. Makes sense, right? So he puts the pillow back up on the chair, sits down, and he continues studying. 10, 15 minutes go by. He's like, I need a drink. So he goes to the kitchen, gets a drink, comes back to find the pillow on the floor again. Reloading. And he's like, okay, <laughs> something is going on. Now, this guy, Elder Reyes, he was a really interesting character, pretty quirky, um, a really nice, really nice guy. And I can just picture him as he tells this story. He said, at that point, after I found the pillow on the ground the second time, I put the pillow back up on the chair and I just stood back and he, and he, and he kind, of, kind of gestures and he's like, you know, he has his hand on his chin like he's observing, right? And he's like, and I just stood back and I just observed to see what would happen. And nothing happens at first. And I'm like, well, you know, maybe I'll, I'll give it a couple of minutes because that's about how long of time I was outside of the room. Right. And so a couple of minutes go by and he tells what he tells me he says i saw with my own eyes i saw the pillow pick up off the chair gyrate once and fall on the ground what <laughs> my gosh and then he says at that point i was like okay i'm out of here wow <laughs> oh my god does not like the pillow he's all get that pillow goes over there <laughs> who put that there that pillow is haunted <laughs> and uh, needless to say but i'll go ahead and say it anyway that was the last time he studied in our study room <laughs> wow, that, that you know, point. Luke, that's that's scary. People don't so, usually see that, like right in front of their eyes. <laughs> Elder Reyes, a study room with the pillow, with the pillow, <laughs> the wicker pillow. That's, that's a new crazy. One. <laughs> that's what everybody like wants to see in some weird way. Not me. 
A lot of people that are into paranormal and supernatural, though, like you're curious about it, Luke, right? Oh, no. Well, I thought, I mean, I told you guys my banana chair story. That's been the only yeah. thing that's yes, happened. Yes, that, was, that life. was some. You like haven't told some... the spooky family. No, but that no. could be another time. The banana chair but that'll story. Be, that's not a mission story, so we don't tell that one tonight. No, oh, we don't tell that one. one Compartmentalizing. Very yeah. good. Very yes. good. Way to stay on track, Professor. We love <laughs> it. We <laughs> love it. <laughs> <laughs> but see, again, no, Luke, I do. again, do you get it? What if it was just a mischievous? What if it was just a, a mischievous ghost? Could be a mischievous. Or maybe he wanted to study with them, and he wanted to. Study Aww, with them. he's, he's like, I don't like. The I comfort. have been dead long enough, and I deserve. A I don't pillow. like. You pillow. He wanted a different pillow. Get this right, pillow out of my face. Yeah. Any other any questions for Lugus? No, that was really good though. That was a very good story. I was Luke. very. Enthralled. Very, yes, we enthralled. know that you had two more stories. What were the titles of them? Give us, give us a teaser. Um, all right, I had I had three more stories. Um, one of them I call the shower prayer. Whoa, whoa! Another one is the old man and the time slip. Huh. And the last one I was going to share actually is what the same elder Reyes, and it's um, sleep paralysis story. Oh, I've those heard so many of terrifying. those. Please share. Um, well, okay, think, well, this is what we we'll might do. be out of time. We've hit like I an would, hour, haven't we? I would yeah. love to propose a part two to this, uh, listeners, if if you're out there, hopefully. <laughs> um, you know, email us in or go to our Insta. I'm going to be posting, you know, El Baca, Cuco, Cuicui. How was it? Cuicui. 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 I'll be posting, hopefully, Jesus in the Toilet. By the end of like tomorrow or so um and go ahead and comment and let us know if if you'd be interested in part two i super am i want to i want to know what happens in the shower i want the time slip <laughs> Ooh, yeah and you want the sleep paralysis yeah so we would love to do a part two lucas if you are available um and then we'll also have sister number three in that mother you are welcome to join us as this is a family affair well now we just need to bring dad too right yeah I'm sure dad has stories too. Oh, dad. Dad has, dad has, dad has, a dad has story. Co- he has some good, he has some good mixing stories too. Yeah. Oh he's man. Got, yeah. Let's just make it a family. We got to feature dad. He's a great storyteller with so, that soft voice. What do we call? Now it's just a spooky family. Well, it, these are just <laughs> features. Just spooky halls. Since we are still a new. We're incorporated. Since we're still a new podcast, we're going through our familial, uh, personal paranormal stories. Yeah. Right. What do you say? Everyone has a ghost story. And on that note, all right, spooky family, we hope that you enjoyed part one of this series of The Professor. And uh, go ahead and give us a like at on Instagram at Spooky Sisters AS. And you can email us at spooky sisters at gmail.com AS. <laughs> Find us on the Facebook too, AS. AS. Uh, thank you, hashtag Isabel, for joining us. You are a great fill in for sister number three. We missed her. We'll have her back next week. Thank you, Lugus. Thank you, brother. We you. shall see you soon. Thank you, mother. If you so agree. We love you. Sounds great. All right. I'm Bonnie. I'm Maddie. I'm Lucas. And we are the Spooky Siblings. Good night, Spooky Family. Good night. Sleep tight.